This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Uh, I um, experienced tremendous, tremendous heartbreak this week. I went to a local deli. First off, I had no idea I was so popular on Facebook that you guys already know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't, and that's okay. It'll be a fun story for you. Um, because somewhere around between Troy and Piqua, I had come to the conclusion that what I really needed to succeed in ministry that day was pickled beaded eggs. Um, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. And this local deli does a great job, and uh, I'm very excited. A couple bucks in my pocket. I'm going to go pick up some pickled eggs. I make my way in. So a variety of people there. First thing in the morning, everyone's bustling, doing their thing. And I happen to peer into the, the deli cabinet where it said egg bin is normally kept. It's right there in the back to the left. I know exactly where it is. I noticed that... Um, the Oreo pudding whip was there. The coleslaw was there. There was the broccoli salad was there. The egg bin was not there. And immediately, I have a panic attack. I don't handle change. I really am not good with change at all. But maybe because it's first thing in the morning, they just haven't got to that yet. They haven't got to that. So as I come around, I'm waiting my turn. The owner comes up, hey, can, how can I help you? He says, hey, um... Uh, the pickled eggs, uh, they come out yet? And a smiling face then becomes a very forlorn, sad face. Says, ah, I'm sorry. There is a beet shortage. <laughs> like, what? I mean, I get gasoline shortage, and I get baby powder shortage, and there's a lot of shortages, and I respect that, but who ever heard of a beet shortage? Like, no, just who here likes beets? Who here like to eat beets? All right, awesome. Good people, good people. Okay? Pickled eggs. Do you like pickled eggs, beets? Yeah, yeah. Uh, good stuff. And we, read, you see, my wife didn't put her hand up, and that's fine. She's okay, and I'm okay. And she stays in her lane, I stay in my lane. And I always just imagine that beets would always be there because the guy who grows the beets has been growing the beets forever because his granddad grew the beets and the granddad before that grew the beets and just, they always grow beets. And the people who always eat the beets will always eat the beets. So how could there be a beet shortage? Seriously. And I can't handle this. I'm having a panic attack right in the middle of the story. Thank you very much, sir. I excuse myself. And as you can see, because I haven't been doing this very much at all, I got on because all I knew what to do was to complain and grumble on Facebook. <laughs> I had no other recourse. Very good dear friend of mine who saw my forlorn state showed up about three hours later. So I heard there's a problem. I said, I don't know what to do. I can't preach, I can't write, I can't, I can't do anything. I'm just going to go home and cry. 
And he reaches in the back of his motorcycle and brings out a big old tub of, I know, right? Okay, that's love. That's love right there. And, and, I, and I told him, I said, the guy at the local deli says that there's a beet shortage. He's like, I know. I talked to my guy at my deli and he said that there's a beet shortage. Did you know that beets are used to create 50% of the sugar produced in the United States? The majority of sugar in the United States comes from beets. I am so thankful that my friend saw me in my time of need and brought me pickled eggs. Some of you think I want beets. I want the eggs. Some of you have gotten close. Wonderful, wonderful, godly Christian woman came up to me and brought me said beets. We're almost there. This is good. This is well done. This is, this is phenomenal. Thank you for these. Um, and I will now do the, the next part. Others of you said, hey, come by and pick up uh, a jar of canned beets. Like, I don't want the beets. I want the eggs. Other godly woman in the first service who really wants to see me grow in my relationship with God came up and gave me these. I'm like, do these grow into eggs? Because I don't know how these produce eggs. But I'll plant them, and if I get pickled eggs out of that, it's awesome. She says, no, 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 these are, these are seeds. You have to do the work. I don't want to do the work. I just want to eat the eggs. I said, so, so I go plant these. She says, yeah, just right across the top of the soil, sprinkle a little bit of dirt on top. And then I get the eggs. And then you get the beets. And she said, these are cylinder up beets. So I'm like, oh, yeah. So these aren't the, the, this shape. These, she says, these ones are shaped like carrots. I'm like, I'm glad that you told me now. Because when I go to harvest these and they look like carrots, I'm going to be really confused. <laughs> there was a disconnect for me this week between what I needed and where it came from. Never had that. It's one thing to know what you need. It's another thing altogether to know where it comes from. No doubt we would probably rather uniform in what our needs are. We know what our needs are. And I'm not suggesting I need pickled eggs. But we know that we need shelter. We know that we need food. We know that we need relationship. There's a list of needs. I might contend. I think God would contend. Where we struggle is we don't know where those provisions come from. In fact, in a very opulent culture, opulent society, we probably internally have a very large disconnect between our provision and the source of that provision. So when Jesus' disciples ask them and say, hey, will you teach us to pray? Inside of that prayer, he says, don't forget to say this. Give us this day our daily bread. 
Not just what you need, but don't forget to remember where it comes from. A few weeks ago, we began this series into the Lord's Prayer. At 30,000 feet, because it's a key facet to a growing faith. A growing follower of God, of Jesus Christ, needs to be a practitioner of prayer. You need to understand prayer. It is your life. Prayer is life. It is breathing for a follower of Jesus. And it has been an important facet, a foundational facet, that for 2,000 years, older Christians have passed on to younger Christians. If you're going to follow Jesus, you need to get this. Here, here's a simple model, a way of praying. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've passed it on as an important, important facet of faith along with a couple other things. A theological creed, a structure of understanding what truth is. I pray that you haven't set that aside. We began talking about that in January. Some of you have got it so deep inside your soul. You can, when you're snoring, you're going through the creed at night. This is, it's a part of your catechism as a young follower of Jesus, and you can still do it. I believe in God the Father Almighty. Some of you, I see your lips moving already. Maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, God's only son. To know what it means that there is a father that is the source of all life. To know that there is Jesus Christ, God's only son, and the story that goes with that. To know, I believe in the Holy Spirit and what that means. To have that truth and to pass on that truth. Some of you, that's very foreign. You're only three months, four months into that way of thinking. In the fall, We're going to talk about the Ten Commandments. Why? Because there's a way that we are to live. There's an ethic where we don't put other gods before God. We don't make idols. We honor his name. We honor our mother and our father. We recognize the rhythm of life and Sabbath. We don't murder and we don't steal. We don't lie. We don't commit adultery. We honor covenant relationships. There's a way that we live. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we have been, as elders, trying to press you into those ideas. In fact, in a few weeks, uh, us as elders are going to get away for a little bit, retreat, to talk more about formally what does that foundational practice look like at House on the Rock? How can we help the generation that's coming up press into creed and the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments? And what does ongoing formal catechism look like in this young church? Some of you come from a church tradition where catechism is, it's just, it's, 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 the, it's duh, everyone knows it, everyone gets it, that's the way it happens. But no, we recognize that there's a historical priority to come alongside a young person, a new person in the faith and say, this is what we believe. This is how we live. This is how we act. Let's follow Jesus together. And so the Lord's Prayer. And the first line in your notes, why don't you write it down? Do you remember it? How does it start? How does it start? Our Father... In heaven, hallowed be your name. Write that down. 
I encourage you to pray that daily. Our Father, source of all life in heaven, you're accessible at every point. You're above and beyond, but you're imminent and you're near. Hallowed be your name. May you be glorified in how we live. May your glory radiate through all things in every choice that I make. There's a character that we anchor our prayer life in. We continued last week. Kingdom. Can you fill that part in? Your kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Kingdom. A king, a people, a place under law. Jesus, help me to anchor my priorities and my decision making that I would see your kingdom come and your will be done in all that I do. Let's continue that. Give us today, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. To help us remember that, I've given you a shape. Some people are spatial in the way that they learn and they memorize things. There's six facets to this prayer. Character, kingdom, and then today we're going to add to that provision. Provision. Well, let's unpack these things together. This prayer was driven by a request that came from the disciples, and it wasn't an unrealistic request. Jesus, teach us to pray. That's different than teach us how to pray. Teaching us how to pray. God, give me some information. Like I'm scrolling Google. Like I'm going through whatever. My, I'm looking for some information. I don't want to necessarily be accountable to it. I just want to learn some stuff. Information. Teach us how to pray. Teach us to pray. That's different altogether, isn't it? That's not information. That's Formation. Formation. Jesus is inviting us to see things differently. Disciples of Jesus watched his way of life, watched how he did things. They watched John the Baptist and how John the Baptist did things and how he taught his disciples to pray. And he says, hey, would you teach us? We see that prayer is central to what you do. Teach us to do that. Teach us to pray. Form us, not just inform us. A friend of mine shared a story where across the country, you can go not just to the library, but you can go to what they're calling a human library. It's a program where instead of checking out a book, you can sit down with a person for 30 minutes and they will share their story with you. People from all different walks of life Maybe one person's a refugee. You sit down and for 30 minutes they will share their story with you. You sit and you listen. Maybe one's a police officer. Maybe one's Buddhist. Maybe one's homeless. Maybe one's a different political persuasion than you are. Different gender than you are. Whatever it might be. For 30 minutes they give their story to you. The purpose of which that in hearing and listening, we embrace a greater understanding of our humanity. And those stories shape us and change us. 
I've always been and will continue to be an avid reader and encourage people to read. Read books. Read lots of books. Read lots of different kinds of books. Be curious and read much. It teaches you to be a more loving person. Because forever along you sit with that book, you are obligating yourself to listen to that person's story and inviting God to change you through it. I referenced a book last week uh, by a woman named Elizabeth who was a senior advisor for the UN called I'm a Girl from Africa. Through the process of reading that book, my perspective was changed. I saw her story and her challenges and affected how I see things and think about things. A woman who's very different than my human experience, what she's going through, how she's trying to help people. My perspective changed. As you look at the Lord's Prayer, let me ask you this question. How is Jesus inviting you to change your perspective? As you look at the Lord's Prayer, the words of the prayer, how do you think he's inviting you to see yourself and to see God? Just think and sit with that question for a second. Because to be formed by something means first I have to see something differently. Turn to Matthew chapter 6 and let's see what Jesus is getting at. Because this is not just about what we need. This is about knowing where it comes from. Matthew 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 7. Leading us into the Lord's Prayer. And let's see uh, if there's a challenge that Jesus is putting in front of us. And the way we process the world. Matthew 6 verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think that they'll be heard for their many words. Okay, time out. We're going to talk about prayer. Don't do it this way. There is a way of viewing prayer that sees God or the gods as vending machines. And you need to put up enough change. And if you put in the right amount of coins and the right commodities, whatever it might be, then the holy divine vending machine will unfold to you whatever it is that you're asking. He says, don't pray like that. If I just say this enough and I repeat this enough and I, and I build up enough you know, prayer capital, then I can cash that in and then the gods will be pleased and they'll give me what I want. That's birthed out of seeing yourself a certain way and seeing the gods a certain way. He says Gentiles. He's talking about those who are not Jewish, those who have a polytheistic view of the world, those who practice prayer that way. Does that habit is birthed out of a certain perspective? He says, rather, do not be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. So let me ask you this question again. How is Jesus inviting you to see yourself and to see God? God. 
Your father knows what you need before you ask him. So when you talk to God, pray like this. Our father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus says, you need to begin seeing yourself as little children who are dearly loved by a heavenly father. You need to start seeing yourself, processing and understanding as you interact with God, that you need to start seeing yourself as a little child, the same way a little child who grabs the cereal bowl that they've always grabbed because that's the cereal bowl and the spoon because that's their spoon and their little fingers just barely trying to wrap around them because, and then you come up, mom, dad, Please. And that child knows that they will receive their daily bread because they are very loved by mother, by father. And Jesus, if you can begin to enter into that perspective, put that type of lens on, now we're getting to what it means to pray. And then, and then we will begin to pray correctly. Is that how you see God? Is that how you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a little child who's dearly loved? Do you see the divine? Do you see God as your father? Because how you pray is directly linked to how you see him. Here's an example. How does an atheist pray? This is not a joke. Actually, that is kind of a joke, isn't it? How does an atheist pray? Doesn't. Why? Then see, there's no God to pray to, right? They don't have a prayer habit. It's based out of how they see the world, how they understand themselves, how they understand metaphysics, how they understand the world around them. So they don't pray, they don't have a prayer habit. What if you believe God as disinterested and removed from you? How are you going to pray? What if you see God as an angry, angry, mean old man? How are you going to pray? How are you going to pray? If that's how you understand God and how you understand yourself, your prayer, your communication is going to reflect that. As I understand the relationship, that's how I'm going to communicate. our Father in heaven. If I don't have a daily habit of seeking my needs from my heavenly Father, it's because I don't see him as the source of my needs. And I don't see him as the one who gives it to me. If I don't have a daily habit of coming to dad and saying, give us this day our daily bread, it's because I don't see myself as a person in need. And I don't see God as the source of that. Jesus invites us, calls us to seek the Father and say, give us this day our daily bread. That line, Jesus anchors in an important story in the Old Testament. 
So to really appreciate that line, we need to go to the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 16. I invite you to turn there. I'm going to read it for you. You can just follow along if you want. But I'd love it if you could find that in a copy of the Bible. We're big fans of scripture here at House on the Rock. If you don't know where Exodus is, well, Jackie, not everybody is. Just, you know, but here, this church, we're kind of big on the Bible, right? You start at Genesis. Next one is Exodus. Really easy to find. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. Go on another one, you get to Exodus. Okay, then find Exodus 16. The 16 would be the really big, bold number. They're kind of in a sequence. And then I'm going to take you through that whole chunk. Just read through so you can kind of see the story. Exodus 16. I want you to listen along just to give you some context. This is happening a month and a half after Israel's been led out of Egypt. Okay? So these are the ones who were slaves in Egypt. These are the ones who are under the lash of Pharaoh. Which means these are the people who also saw God's deliverance through the plagues. They saw the frogs. They saw the Nile turn to blood. They saw the sun go dark. They saw all the firstborn of Egypt die. They were there at Passover. These are the ones who experienced Passover. Blood upon the doorsill and the angel passing over. These are the ones who were led out. These are the ones who came to the Red Sea and saw the waters part and walked through on dry land. We're only a month and a half away from all of those events when God talks to them. They've been completely delivered from one of the biggest, most menacing political powers of the time, the Egyptian Empire. And so God brings this, this moment of teaching to them. Exodus 16 they, Israel, set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. That's not Sin like you did something bad. It's like saying Rushi. Which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Okay? We're 50 days out. Month and a half away. Haven't been doing this that long. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Well, I guarantee you when they were slaves in Egypt, they were not sitting next to giant pots of meat, eating all the bread to the fill that they wanted. Isn't it interesting how mismemory happens when you get angry at God? Well, I remember things were so much better back there. And so they grumbled. They grumbled and they grumbled. Look at the response, verse four. Then Moses, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. The Lord says to Moses, tell the people, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to send them bread every day that they are to gather each and every day. I'm going to send them daily bread. In doing this, I am going to test them. You're like, that sounds mean. That sounds like, you know, you're a manipulative, mean old 
You're just going to put the bread out there to see if we're going to take it or not, to see if we're good people or not. It's kind of a misunderstanding of test. Test are moments and seasons in life that God uses to both reveal and refine our faith. It reveals and refines our faith. God says, we're going to do this. And in the process of doing this, you're going to understand how well you do or you do not follow. It's that simple. And you want to know that. You want to know what your heart's capacity is to follow or not follow. How do you think this is going to work out? Let's find out. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. Okay, so say Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you're going to gather enough for each person. On day Friday, which is the day before Sabbath, you're going to gather two because you're not going to gather the following day because it's Sabbath. Okay? So Moses and Aaron, verse 6, said to all the people of Israel, at evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, his radiance, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us. You grumble against the Lord. Apparently the grumbling was a big thing. Right? Apparently the grumbling was a big thing. God, we don't think that you're taking care of us. So verse 9, Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked into the wilderness, okay, the vast unknown, a desert space ahead of them. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. God's making himself known. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know I am the Lord your God. Okay, with me? He's saying, we're going to do this thing, and the end game is you understanding not so much what you need, but where it comes from. I'm going to reveal to you in your physical need where it comes from. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. In the morning, dew uh, lay around the camp. And when the dew was gone, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing. Fine as frost on the ground. I love this. This is amazing. God takes him out into the wilderness. In the midst of the wilderness, he blankets the wilderness with his blessing. That's pretty cool. Some people might see wilderness. Others will see God's blessing. When the people of Israel saw it, verse 15, they said to one another, what is it? They did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it's the bread that the Lord has given to you to eat. This is what the Lord's commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer. It's about two liters according to the number of the persons that each has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. And when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. 
Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it till the morning. Okay. Specific instructions. You're going to go out. Each household's going to gather what you need. If you've got a family of five, you're going to go collect an omer of each because that's what you're going to eat for that day. You only two of you, then you just gather enough for two. It's for that day. You're not hoarding anything till tomorrow. You're not storing anything. This is daily bread for my needs for today. Simple. Don't save anything till tomorrow. What do you think happens? They did not listen. Verse 20, some left part of it till the morning. It bred worms. It stank. You guys know that smell? You know that, that smell? Like once food has decided it's no longer food for us, it's going to now be food for something else. That smell. Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted away. You had to get it in the morning. You had to go out each morning and get it. Well, I just need some me time this morning, so I'll get it later. Nope, you're going to get it first thing in the morning or it's not going to be there. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, boil what you will boil, and all that's left over, you lay that aside to be kept until the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded. It did not stink. There were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you will gather. On the seventh day, which is Sabbath, there will be none. All right, so I'm going to gather it Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. On Friday, I'm going to gather twice as much, okay? I'm going to cook what up I need on Friday, and I'm going to have some left over. I don't need to worry. God said it will keep till tomorrow, which is Saturday. Then on Saturday, I will have food for Saturday. And I don't need to go out on Saturday because you don't gather on Saturday. You don't work on Saturday. Saturday is rest. Saturday is Sabbath. Another way of recognizing that God takes care of me. Verse 27. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather. But they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. It's a gift apart from it. It's a gift that you're given. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. And so the people rested on the seventh. And they called it manna. Means, what is it? God created for them a culture to learn. He gave them a habit. And the habit was very simple. Every morning, you're going to go out and gather what you need for the day. I am providing it. It comes from me. Don't hoard it. Don't save it. It won't last. You need to do this every day. Every day, you need to meet with me in the morning. I will provide for you. 
When we get to Sabbath, the day before, you're going to gather twice as much because on Sabbath, we're going to do something different. On Sabbath, we rest because you need rest and you need to know that I take care of you. So don't go out Saturday morning looking for extra. You need to do that work ahead of time. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Every morning, I want to remind you, I take care of you. I know what you need. You need to be reminded where it comes from. Follow the rules. Follow the rules. It's divine provision. It's daily provision. You are dependent on me for your provision. So if I lived back then, okay, I got my tent, got my family, three boys. Hey, we're all going to, it's time to go. Up we get. We're going to grab our little pot. We're going to go out there and we're going to see this stuff that's scattered all over the grass, all over the wilderness. And Aiden's got his pot and Lou's got his pot and we're all got our pot. And we're going to gather and gather and gather. All right, I got what I need for the day. And I'm going to take it. I might bake it. I might boil it. Just apparently there's a lot of different things that you could do with this honey flavored wafer stuff. It's our food for the day. Well, maybe if I saved some, then I don't have to do it tomorrow. Not the lesson. The lesson is God takes care of me every day. So the next day we go out and we do it. They did this for 40 years. For 40 years, every morning they went out, God providing their needs. That day, connecting physical need with spiritual provision. Physical need with spiritual provision. For 40 years, and they come to the edge of the promised land. They're about ready to go in. Moses is being told that his time has now ended. He's not going to go into the promised land. In fact, he's very close to death. And so Moses gives them a series of sermons. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, what Adam uh, read for us this morning, he reminds us, he says, hey, do you remember how I led you through the wilderness? How every single day I gave you food? It's so that you would learn, not that just that you need bread, but your life proceeds from every single word I say. Every word I say. What you need and where it comes from. Jesus takes this and then he ratchets the whole thing up a notch. In John chapter 6, the, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the spiritual leaders come at Jesus, the scribes, because they're really upset with the way he's saying things and how he's saying things. And I, I want to show you a, an important connection that Jesus makes in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, I'm going to read um, 47 down through 51. Nikki, how are we doing back there? Everything tracking? Awesome. Into this passage, Jesus starts by noticing, he says, the Jews were grumbling. And he says, don't grumble. 
When you hear that, what, what might that throw in the back of your head? How, what story should I start thinking about? Grumbling, grumbling. Who was always grumbling? Oh, the Israelites back in the, the, they were used to grumble. Oh, I should be thinking about that. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Let's read that verse again. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. How many of you have a hard time memorizing Bible verses? How many of you have a hard time? It's okay. Oh, it's, yeah, right? Say, repeat after me. I am the bread of life. Let's say that again. I am the bread of life. Say it. I am the bread of life. Let's say it one more time. I am the bread of life. You guys memorized the whole verse this morning. Well done. Mo's actually going to be teaching a class on this this summer. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat it and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So he says, hey, remember how our ancestors would go out every single day and gather physical bread so they could live physically. But remember, they still died because, you know, that's what happens. She says, I have come down heaven to earth. I am living bread. In the same way that you understand the physical manna, now you can start to understand what I am doing. That was physical bread. I'm spiritual bread. So in the same way that our ancestors would do that, that's how I should approach my relationship with you? Mm-hmm. Yes. So they had to believe that God was going to take care of them every day. Is that what we should do? Mm-hmm. They would go out every morning. Should we engage with God every morning? Mm-hmm. They weren't allowed to bank on tomorrow, but they had to do it every single day. And they couldn't like stock it up thinking like they could you know, just do a little bit at a time. Should, so when I follow after Jesus, should I believe that today is enough for tomorrow or should I do it every single day? Do I need to do it every single day? Mm-hmm. Give us this day our daily bread. Mm-hmm. Well, I could imagine, Jesus, that if I didn't eat daily bread, that eventually I would get pretty weak. Is that true spiritually too? Mm-hmm. Like Jesus, if I didn't have a regular daily habit of meeting with the source of all life and receiving from him, if I didn't do that day one, day two, day three, if I didn't do that at all, Jesus, could I expect my spiritual life to really suffer? Mm-hmm. In fact, Jesus, I bet my life in its full would suffer, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
Jesus says, I'm greater bread. You know that you need physical bread. Oh, but I would tell you, you need spiritual bread so much more. So he says, believe. Believe. What does that mean? That means I show up. I show up. Now let's think of the table, the breakfast table. I love breakfast. Breakfast might be my favorite meal. In fact, I could eat breakfast for lunch and dinner. Anybody else, like, just breakfast is the best. That, for sure, right? I mean, just something about breakfast. American breakfast, which is so bad for you, but man, it's so awesome. Like, yes, give me potatoes and soak them in fat and grease and then slop them. And then just, yeah, and pancakes and so, yum, so good. I love breakfast. I remember mornings when dad would make breakfast. You know what I had to do? I had to show up. That's it. Just have to show up. I even try to do that with my sons every now and then. I mean, I, f- I feed them breakfast every morning. Don't get me wrong. They have access to, and I'm like, choo-choo train. No, that's not it at all. But hey, let's do that kind of breakfast. All you need to do is show up. I walk with Jesus. You need to show up. Just show, I'm going to show up. Give me this day, daily bread this morning, as I was preparing to meet with you. I stood on my back porch, and I held out my hands. I looked at the sunrise as it's coming up. I don't know what needs to be done. I don't know what needs to be said. Father, Give me this day daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. As Jesus is the living bread, will you give to us what we need this day? And tomorrow morning, I'm going to do it again. Give us this day our daily bread. Are you eating enough? Are you eating enough? You know what I'm asking. In Deuteronomy 31, as Moses comes to the end of these sermons in this book, the baton is going to be passed from Moses to Joshua. There's some closing comments I wanted to read for you as God shares with Moses what's coming ahead. They're on the edge of promised land. They're on the edge of having to collect every single day to having an entire feast of milk and honey laid before them, a a land of great provision and promise. This is Deuteronomy 31. I'm going to start reading in verse 16. Deuteronomy 31, verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, You're about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise in horror after the foreign gods among them and the land that they are entering, that they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day. I will forsake them and hide my face from them. They will be devoured. Many evils and troubles will come upon them so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us. And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they've done 
because they've turned to other gods. Okay, before I keep reading, this is going to happen. You're going to stop coming to the table. You're going to see other offerings and other invitations, and you're going to chase after and whore after and give yourself over to those things, places where you will not be fed nor sustained nor kept, and your life will fall apart as a result. That's what happens if I stop eating for an extended period of time, my body will begin to fall apart. I will not be able to do any of the things that is expected of me. And he's just saying, hey, your life's going to fall apart. And in fact, you'll come to that conclusion. Look, our life fell apart. We stopped seeking God. Is God being mean to them? Is God out to get them? Is God sticking it to him because he's a mean old man? No. He's like, this is what happens when you stop coming to the table. Now, therefore, write a song and teach it to the people. Put it in their mouths that this song may be witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I brought them into the land that's flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers... And they've eaten and are full and grown fat. They will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And then many evils and troubles have come upon them. This song shall comfort them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. For I know what they are inclined to do even today. I know what their heart's going to do. When they move from wilderness into promise, they're going to forget me. No doubt some of them maintained a daily habit of thanksgiving and prayer, but for the most part, the country crashed and burned. And did exactly what God said they would do. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So I've been trying in this season, not just to give you information, but a habit formation. So when we start, it says, hey, every day, let's say the Lord's Prayer. Every day, let's get out, look at our feet on the ground. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Let's keep doing that. Let's keep doing that. When do we stop doing that? We keep doing it. We keep doing it. Yeah, we keep doing it. And how about this week? What if we added a little bit? What if we said it before we ate? Just to get that connection in our minds. We're sitting down in the meal. Give us this day our daily bread. Our Father, this comes from you. Okay? This comes from you. What I need, where it comes from. If we made that connection. Parents, maybe you heard in that passage in 31 that God was all about parents. You need to get this into their head. You need to get this into your kids' thinking of what they need and where it comes from. And the songs that they sing and the passages they read, the, the habits that they have. Parents, you need to wrestle with that. You need, to, you need to build this into the rhythm of the family. Must. 
Must, 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 must. For 40 years, the Israelite family would go out together to find their daily needs in the hands of God. I would encourage you to do that. I can help. We can talk about and have those conversations. Another suggestion might be practicing a little bit more simplicity in your life. It's garage sale season. Stop buying. Start selling. Paul, that's the rudest thing you said all morning. I can't believe you would suggest that. I need a fourth thingamabob. Stop buying and start selling. Give it away. Can you see the connection that God recognizes? Listen, when they're in the wilderness, you're going to be close to me and you're going to stay close to me. The moment you move into promise and opulence and excess, your heart wanders. You get distracted because the more you own, the more you are owned. The more you own, the more you are owned. As you worry about this and you worry about this and you worry about this and you worry about this. So for 2,000 years, many of us have recognized a life of simplicity is wise. I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need a pool. I need a friend who has a pool. Right? I don't need a camper. I need a friend who has a camper. Learn to enjoy things without having to own things. I'm not joking. I've said this before. You know, this is the reason we bought the house where we bought the house wasn't so we could put a, a pool in the backyard. It's because it's right around the corner from the Troy pool. They take care of it and they clean it and we can show up. Simplicity. Simplicity. Some Christians are challenged by living in a world of lack. You are challenged. You live in the land of excess. Where for us, a bad day is I couldn't find any beats. But sure enough, three hours later, my biker friend brought him right to my office. Simplicity. I pray that you have been challenged this morning in these words and you hear the warning. The warning that God spoke to Israel is the same warning that comes to us. Lord Jesus, I need you every single day. And maybe you begin to feel that, that the Spirit is pressing upon you. I haven't seen Jesus as my daily living bread. I haven't sought that grace every morning. I've been distracted by newer trucks. I've been distracted by fancier clothes. I've been distracted by food that I feel I have to provide when it's just my job to show up. In fact, I stopped showing up. Then let's, let's welcome a season of repentance. Let's welcome an opportunity to come before him to recognize I'm sorry prone to wander. I love to read. I love a good poem too.
This is a poem by George Herbert. As we think about the table. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful? Oh, my dear, I, I cannot look on thee. But love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I've marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. Know you not, says love, who bore the blame? Oh, my dear, then, then, I, then I'll serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. And so I sat, and I did eat. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. And that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.